0: Welcome to episode 214 of CXO Talk. I'm Michael Krigsman. CXO Talk brings together really the most interesting, innovative people in the world for in depth and genuinely substantive and meaningful conversation. I want to thank Harmony for sponsoring today's show. Harmony. Has a set of products that bring information together from multiple sources and make it easy to consume on the desktop. And I also want to thank Livestream, as always, for being a great supporter of CXO Talk. We have a tweet chat going on right now using the hashtag CXO Talk, and I hope you'll join in and you can ask questions of our guest during this live show. And we have the pleasure and the honor today of speaking with Reiner Baumann, who is the Chief Information Officer for Information at a 150-year-old major, large Swiss Swiss insurance company called Swiss3. Re. Reiner, how are you? Good. And you? I am doing great. And thanks so much for joining us today. Please tell us about Swiss Re.
1: So Swiss Re is one of the world's largest reinsurance company. Reinsurance might not be familiar to many of you. However, typically you work with uh, your insurance companies, which give you coverages for your home, for your cars. However, if they are working in some countries or focusing on uh, specific areas, they typically need to balance the respective uh, risks. They reach out to companies like us, where we help them for extreme events to cover for them.
0: And what is your role and your mandate at Swiss My team and myself are taking care
1: of all information-related uh, aspects uh, of Swiss Reef, from collecting, storing, managing all information. And especially are focusing on uh, exploiting and leveraging latest possibilities around digital and analytics to get most out of it for our business.
0: You talk about the company as being a knowledge company and knowledge is central to the type of insurance business that you're in. And so can you elaborate on that and and tell us more about what reinsurance is and how does it connect to data?
1: Good. Reinsurance
0: itself
1: is not much about interacting with policyholders. This is how we call individuals uh, like you, Michael, and which actually are purchasing typically insurance or with uh, SMEs, which are also purchasing uh, insurance. We are more focusing on supporting the large insurance companies and smaller ones on how to deal with uh, the customers. So we give them an understanding about the different risks, how they calculate it, how they work with it. To give you a very simple uh, example, if you want to purchase a life insurance and if you're a very healthy person, that's a very straightforward thing and most companies will just give you a nice offer. However, if you have a few medical constraints... It suddenly might become very complex. How do you price this risk? And the risk means the price you need to pay, actually, for uh, this insurance. And uh, we help the primary insurers to identify that. But there is also much more than just life insurance. Uh, If you go, for example, to industrial insurances. When you have very complex facilities, you do something we call risk engineering. You go out to these facilities, try to find out what can go wrong, what might be the impact. And this needs tons of experts. So if you look into Swiss Re, you will find only very few guys focusing on bringing insurance or reinsurance to our customers. But tons of experts from many, many different areas. So tons of Engineer, physicists, mathematicians, which build the brightest models around earthquake, weather, people aging, and all this breaths makes us to a melting pot of experts, which uh, gives a nice and interesting cultural environment.
0: So your business then is you're not focused on end consumers; you are supplying. Uh, a backstop essentially for other insurance companies, and the the substance or, or much of what you do relates to gathering data about the world, about different aspects of the world, and integrating that data and finding ways to manage that data so that your in-house experts can make the most uh, well-informed choices.
1: I would have formally like, we try to understand the world. Sometimes there are great models which you can apply to understand the world. Sometimes you need tons of data. And sometimes it is a lot of long-term expertise, learning and latest research around how, for example, medical treatment costs are developing. One of the biggest unknown Problems, will they increase by 5 or 10% annually or will they go down? And if you would know the extrapolation of the treatment cost over the next decade, that would be a very relevant factor to understand how to price this uh, actual health costs.
0: So you are the CIO for information, which I'm assuming means that this information challenge is part of your, an important part, of your mandate. And so, so how do you think about the bringing of this information in and the the nature of the workplace and where your workplace is evolving in order to make it easier for for this group of data experts to carry out their job
1: first of all luckily my folks don't need to be the biggest experts in these different insurance uh, disciplines and underlining uh, knowledge areas we are the expert in how to actually work with that data and on methodologies when we talk uh, about bringing in data, but also leveraging uh, the latest uh, technologies when it gets to mathematical models, for example, or how you calculate some uh, uh, weather conditions. Then we have our engineers, physicists, which know this much better than we do. However, when you have, let me uh, give you a a little example. Uh, When you get a claim after uh, something happened. Then, classically, you would have somebody typing this from an email into a system. From that system, somebody would review it and put some more information into another system. However, everything you get, you could extract more or less automatically and digitize a significant part of the processes, but you need to leverage quite a lot of the capabilities which are slowly emerging in the field. And the same thing is with uh, understanding different risks. There is so much uh, information there which we only use in a very small portion, but the majority of that information is typically unstructured, is unrelated, I mean, it comes from very different sources. You need to put it into context, understand it, and no, we do not employ hundreds of thousands of people. You need to do this in an intelligent way. And that's where most of uh, our focus is.
0: Which, of course, then raises the question of how do you do this? <laughs> <laughs> that's the magic question.
1: <laughs> and two days later, we probably would have uh, found no silver bullet yet. We apply all the, I would say, best practices around When you, for example, acquire external information, you first need to make sure that you understand where it's coming from in the context. Enrich it with the respective master data, put it into context where you have structured information, try to have the right models, and uh, where you have unstructured information, get them uh, in a way that you can work with that. But all of what I just described to you is very much technical. The challenge Yes it is technical but the bigger challenge is how do you create actual business value out of it and how do you enable our how we call it business the experts uh, in the risk functions underwriting claims functions to take true business advantages out of uh, these information
0: so when you so you get in this mass of unstructured data and maybe you can tell us a little bit more about what that kind of data is, but even more importantly then, how do you make use of it in order to add uh, the business value and make it useful in in a practical way? I mean, this seems to me like, a for for your company, it seems like it must be a a strategic competence to to do that really well. Um, I would even go a step forward, it is the strategic
1: competence to understand information and leverage it, or to give you, to do a little uh, historic uh, exploration, how did insurance over the last uh, hundreds of years define the risks and estimated the right prices? You looked at what is called actuarial models, which is nothing else than the development of the respective claims, a bit simplified. So you looked and you had a certain risk, how many losses did you have with that risk? And how did that this develop? And with this, you naturally assume that the risk develops somehow similar, or you added a few parameter and said, oh, there are now uh, more interactions. So it will have a slight higher uh, claims rate or a higher cost per claims. But, these developments are naturally extrapolations and they do neither respect the individual risk. So we say you move from a, hist- from a let's say, statistical risk to a more individual risk, and you move from a historic uh, perspective on the risk to a more forward looking. Most people would say. Uh, predictive, or even pre- uh, predictive model, but there are sometimes also limitations to how predictive you can be, depending on what the information is uh, you have at hand.
0: You are you talk about uh, smart analytics, and what is that? I mean, I'm I'm so interested <laughs> in in this this issue of how you manage the flow of data and how you how you organize yourself around that as well now smart analytics advanced
1: analytics digital analytics whatever magic word you want to use uh, are for me just interchangeable words of leveraging intelligent algorithms paired with huge computational power by the way Most of these algorithms had been there for ages. So if you've studied in the 90s computer science, you have heard most of it, but most of what the people said, it's not usable in reality. So with sheer computational power, we now can do many interesting things. And this starts by understanding information. A very simple example is when you have a sentence from a person. Is that person angry or not? Which is a sentiment analysis. You now could try to analyze the grammar. And if one word comes after another, or you add hundred thousands or millions of examples and compare and say, typically this is angry. Typically this is happy. And you can apply different kinds of these algorithms and you find out, Oh, This is now a happy customer or an angry customer. And this kind of sentiment analysis is just a very little glimpse. Now, think about when you have a text. And in your text, you have uh, written something around, uh, uh, let's go into uh, a property uh, facility of a big manufacturer. When they write in uh, the assessment, we had over 10 years a local fire brigade, but didn't make good experience. This is while we fully trust in the fire brigade from our town. So we immediately know they don't have a fire brigade, and we hope that the town is very close. Otherwise, the facility will burn down when they have a large fire. Mm-hmm. For a computer to understand such a sentence and really get, oh, so they do not have one, but they said, we had one over 10 years. So there is even not a negation in the whole sentence. This is very difficult to understand. And beside this natural language processing part, you have also tons of, uh, let's say, other things. For example, when you want to understand forms, you scan a form. It's tough to understand where have people done it cross? Where have people done uh, or how have they filled certain parts of it? Now, funny enough, we can apply algorithms from genetic engineering, which were developed for DNA analysis to detect patterns in forms, which are graphical algorithms. So you do not apply them on text you apply them on the graphics and based on these patterns, you can pre-process the information in a way that afterwards you can go much further. But it also goes towards classical uh, quantitative uh, methods uh, enriched with uh, newer capabilities. Artificial intelligence can also be applied to well-structured data to find uh, hidden insights which you wouldn't have found on yourself.
0: What about, there's there's also um, a, a human dimension to this, <laughs> which is you're, you, you come from a very well-established industry, the insurance industry, in a company that's 150 or more years old. And so, how do you ensure adoption? How do you get your workforce to change the way it works to absorb these new ways of thinking about data, analyzing data, absorbing data, making decisions with, with data?
1: And this is a huge challenge you're bringing up here, because it's not just about analyzing data. If you think, we have typically experts which are with us for years. So if you walk through Swiss Re, you find a lot of very experienced and sell people. They are confronted with an industry which suddenly uh, changes because it gets uh, more products in there. So for example, new cyber defense product. Then they get a work environment which changes. 10 years ago, they never used kind of iPads to go to customers, putting notes, chatting, interacting in a high frequency with their customer, developing a contract. Then you have suddenly new models of transparency, uh, understanding how your risks are developing, where it's going. And then you have all these new possibilities with data. So all of these things suddenly come together. And in this environment, uh, To be fully transparent, we don't have a golden nugget. And we heavily struggle with uh, embarking all of our workforce uh, on the journey by adapting different uh, capabilities offered. And the solution path we take at the moment is try to provide different possibilities and opportunities to them and let them choose to a certain degree the tries we sometimes had to impose a certain way of working, we failed pretty miserably. If you think that uh, you understand how the folks uh, in the company should work, you probably are working in a factory, or um, you might rethink your position. And that's what we now do constantly, try to provide opportunities listen to them bringing the whole consumerization into the game meaning like enabling them with their own phone tablets to work we have also a big mantra which is called own the way you work so people can work at home on travel and uh, with that having a much more attractive uh, working environment for them which at least we get some pretty good feedback on uh, how we are exposing these capabilities uh, to the, our employees now.
0: So, in this case, when you talk about when you talk about the digital workplace or the future of work, it it comes down to uh, essentially convincing these experts to adopt new ways of working that enable them to take advantage of the, the data, the unstructured data, especially that you're able to supply through various types of data feeds and analytic tools?
1: Um, yes, that's one part of it. And uh, you could also see as a very uh, classical adoption problem uh, with uh, latest technologies. when you And let me perhaps switch uh, to another uh, industry. If you go to lawyers, lawyers, especially in their early years, spend tons of time finding the right information somewhere, preparing them, distilling uh, insights out of court case decisions. And there is a sh- small portion which is truly high-end value-adding sitting with the customers, listening to them, understanding where they are, defining a strategy, how to tackle the legal challenge. And that part of thinking, this value adding probably remains. But the other part I described initially, you can substitute more and more by technology, leaving you on one side with a problem that younger people don't have the possibility to learn and get into it. And for the well-established lawyers, let's think like this: uh, you for sure have a lot of uh, investments in preparing that show. If you would need to run ten such shows every day and having five minutes to prepare it, I'm very sure your life would be pretty stressful.
0: Yes. So. This type of change that you're talking about uh, must feed into the ultimate thinking of of the business model, right? so you so so maybe talk to us about your thinking of your transformation of business model, and then, this use of technology and the adoption of these different ways of thinking and different ways of working, how does that feed into your broader business model and, and broader longer-term strategy?
1: Now, this is a very broad question. Perhaps I need a few attempts to uh, answer it uh, nicely. First, I always tend to say The reinsurance industry is probably the last one to get hit by trends. First, you see it somewhere in commercial retail, then very, very late in retail banking, then investment banking, then retail insurance, latest in reinsurance. Why is it like that? Because we are in a business with very low frequent interaction. And typically, the interactions are semi-pleasant. Or at least I don't remember people saying, Oh, cool, I crashed my car, I can talk to my insurance. And also not, cool, I need a car insurance, and cool, I may pay thousand bucks a year for that insurance. I'm so glad to do that.
0: So, so I once, you know, I've said to my accountant, I said to my accountant, doesn't he ever call with good news? Uh, <laughs> Same he, kind he, of thing.
1: <laughs> but but this is we are in a let's say semi-positive, low-frequency interaction business. And having said that, if you are then even in the second line or supporting the companies in such a challenging environment, uh, it's even more extreme. So our business model probably evolves much slower than most uh, people would uh, expect when they look at the other areas. However, it gets much more transformed through what is around us. And what is around us means the understanding of the world and how the world is changing. If you look, for example, at the kind of risks we have today, they are so much different than the risks we had 20 years ago. If you think, for example, about cyber risks, there is a substantial risk that global economy goes down for several days because of a cryptographic breach somewhere in a cryptographic functions. No one knew about this weekends and it can be exploited and our economies are down. If we go into the early nineties, what could have happened? You can have a local power outage. You can have some instruments uh, which uh, have not been produced well, and that several area uh, or several places you had uh, issues. But this connectiveness of the world changes the whole thing. So we need to understand suddenly the risks much broader, much interconnected, and this asks also us to think: Can we offer insurance, for example, more tailored? more short-term, so that you don't get uh, very long coverage, that we also partner more with uh, our primary insurers and uh, bigger customers uh, and also individual customers that they prevent things more. By the way, there is also a great chance for us. The digitization shortens the distance from a reinsurance to the ultimate customer significantly. Suddenly, we have a chance to get in touch with them, get real handy signals from them uh, and also um, shape their behavior, influence them. Because risk management, risk reductions is a lot about influencing and assuring that the things do not happen, which we don't want to happen. And uh, as an insurer... We are most happy if we can make sure that uh, nothing goes wrong and nobody uh, has a bad
0: experience. So, when you say that digitization uh, shortens that path or the link to the end customer, maybe elaborate on that because, again, that's another aspect of your business which is completely different from the past where you didn't touch those, those end, end customers' individuals.
1: Now, let's start perhaps uh, from two angles. The first is how we can influence claims and how we can leverage more the potential of getting closer to the customer. On the claim side, it's a lot about prevention. In the past, we were highly depending on insurance companies or others to help Doing prevention. Today, we have some insights, uh, being it from the data we get from our primary insurers or other areas, that something's not going uh, the way how it should be. So, let's think again about the commercial situation. So, you have a company employing uh, 10,000 workers uh, on chemical plants, and we find out that they are running their uh, chemical processes at and very uh, much at the edge, which is pretty critical towards uh, risking the facility, but also the employees there. When we see that, we can suddenly uh, reach out to them. In the past, we just had the statistic, new. oh, typically if you produce uh, these kinds of chemicals, you have a blow-up in average every 1,000 years. And if the facility is that big with that blow-up rate, you, this is the premium. Today we see, oh, The operator on that side is running the plant pretty risky. He needs to cool it down more or whatever. And uh, what I'm talking you now is also very much the future. Today, we don't have that much inside life IoT data, but it's getting much more there. And I promised you before that I also look at it from a second angle. Uh, how we can address the individuals uh, like you and me. Interestingly enough, only about a third of the insurable risks on the world, which would be natural to insure, are insured. So I don't talk about your mobile phone glass break coverage because actually I'm not sure uh, how much sense it makes to ensure your mobile phones from breaking. Uh, at least the insurance industry is thankful uh, for the revenue you're creating, but uh, for you, probably this is not worth insuring it. However, there are many things. If you get a uh, disability, if you uh, die earlier, if you get uh, seriously ill, or if your house burns down, if there's an accident, if you get into a legal dispute, here we see a huge underinsurance and uh, we try to uh, make the people aware of this underinsurance because this is exposing them significantly to risk and you living in, in the US well knowing how the US healthcare system today or even in the future with the ongoing changes will take care about individuals and uh, how you need to take care about your pensions. Many states have different regulations, but this is your business. And if you don't take care of it, then you might have uh, significant challenges in the future.
0: I want to remind everybody that you're watching CXO Talk, and we're speaking right now with Reiner Baumann, who is the CIO for Information at the large Swiss insurance company called Swiss Re, and I really want to especially thank Harmony, it's spelled H-A-R-M-O-N dot I-E, for sponsoring this episode. And you can, send quest- you can send questions to Reiner using the hashtag uh, CXOTalk on Twitter right now. Reiner, so we haven't spoken directly about the topic of innovation. And, mm-hmm. for a company that is 150 years old, and that is in an industry that's changing so rapidly right now, I have to assume that innovation is very top of your mind. And so, can you talk about innovation, which I assume also is the, the kind of glue that holds these various pieces together that you've been describing?
1: Innovation, in fact, is one of our core paths uh, in the company. And innovation for us doesn't come from a tough, stringent, managed research project. Innovation comes from the entire company. We aim at creating a lot of freedom and invite people to think about different opportunities. So collaboration, open problem sharing, discussions are at the core. You could even say that certain kind of uh more edgy working environments uh, with some tech companies have were or or are not new to us since uh, we try to foster such kind of exchanges. And when we then look into the individual activities and how they work, then very often during a lunch talk or during a discussion with a primary insurer, we come to the idea, oh, we could or should and try out uh, something And with uh, our expertise, we typically then uh, are able to grow these things. Naturally, you also have uh, the typical top-down challenges that you, for example, uh, see, oh, the population is aging more and more. How do you understand this? Uh, Because the aging of the population is a huge financial risk to life insurance pension funds and uh, you need somehow to be able to calculate it. And then you suddenly find yourself into more tailored discussion. And here I think we can be fully transparent. Whenever you have a very tailored focus, innovation becomes much more difficult than when you let it come through the organization. And uh, similar to, as I referred before, tech companies, most of our biggest innovation came from smart people in the ranks, figuring out something with their passion.
0: So again, that's a, a, a cultural dimension that, uh, and, and so how are you thinking about the culture and changing the culture of this, this 150-year-old company to support this type of collaborative and innovative thinking?
1: So on one side, we are lucky that we have already such a collaborative environment. On the other side, we have also these, uh, I would say, generation changes, which suddenly come in and want to work in new ways. We have uh, tons of digital tools supporting them, however, not fully (laughs) meeting the needs of uh, the more experienced generations. So we try to bring them together with most best practices we, we find out there. Being it community events physical, being it not like a CXL talk, but uh, in the data science community, for example, or on Smart Analytics, there is every second week a one-hour talk about a certain topic, or we just have in four weeks a huge uh, conference uh, in our uh, main conference facility where we have several hundred people getting together and thinking about different problems. Uh, We have uh, sometimes competitions or conducting hackathons. And uh, mixing these different elements allows us to embark a bit onto this. However, we also face here a huge challenge since we have this more brain-heavy work There is part of Swiss which is highly transactional. If you look into our service centers, there are hundreds of people doing operational processing. And we try as good as possible to pick their brains and not just leaving them to dummy information work. And we try to do this by engaging them more locally into discussions, opening up the topics, And uh, just in two weeks, I'm in one of our service centers and having a whole afternoon discussions uh, in a larger uh, group where everybody might come participate and discuss how we can evolve our uh, current processes, products, whatever.
0: So you're so you're trying to gather uh, basically to engage people at every level inside the organization, essentially.
1: Absolutely. And uh, if you look to our group CEO, Christian Mumenthaler, who is uh, one of the youngest group CEOs uh, in the industry, who is, uh, I hope he's okay saying me that really interesting into tech and always wants to have the latest features, naturally breaks down these barriers and uh, enables us to talk very directly on all levels. And especially since we made the experience that everyone in this company can make a difference, we are so open to do that.
0: We have only a a short time left, and there's a few things that still I want to talk with you about. But very briefly, can you share your thoughts on some of the next generation of technologies that relate to insurance, such as mobility, blockchain, uh, things like that?
1: For sure, Um, uh, First, most technologies will transform the way we look at the world. Or in other words, the change of the world itself is for us the transforming factor. With IoT, we will get more and more insights about how the things are working. With this, we understand risks much better, can influence them more closer, Mobility, or how I would call it, connectiveness, allows us to stay in touch with whatever is out there. Here we talk very often also about connectiveness of people, because IoT is more focusing on devices, on industries, facilities, sometimes also people. But people, they have much more than their fitness tracker and their intelligent clothes. They are very social. They interact. They leave Tons of tracks everywhere. By the way, just to give you one uh, very nice uh, uh, example, there was an insurance company in the UK which uh, shifted their model for estimating your driver risk completely by just analyzing your social media footprint. And if you uh, were well-behaving, they assume you're also a good driver. If you are... Uh, have a bit of special character in social media. They assume that uh, this special character will also be replicated on the street and priced respectively. This was not really appreciated by the regulator, but that's the kind of technology changes. Uh, We also see a lot of uh, financial uh, technologies from the fintech area, which influences more uh, the asset management payment part, like uh, blockchain, and uh, what other technology have you been thinking, which uh, would be interesting for you?
0: Uh, well, maybe digital payments. That seems like it might be relevant.
1: Digital payments is especially interesting uh, in, from my perspective, two areas. One is when you get more to insurance. Uh, as a service on the go, so pay as you drive, pay as you live, then you need to have very small payments to capture the respective insurance. So electronic ways, new digital payments enable that. On the other side, micro payments, small payment uh, possibilities are also the key to open up insurance solution to areas uh, on the world which had very limited access to insurance. So if you think about Africa, how can you provide micro insurance to farmers? You need also the respective uh, payment solutions. And besides these uh, opportunities, this is always, and sorry, we are an insurer. We're always thinking about the threat dimension. It's a huge threat because uh, digital payments, if something goes wrong there, you have a scalability factor. It's much harder to copy uh, bill, uh, notes from uh, a national bank while doing something nasty with digital currency. We can all go and be very creative about that.
0: Yeah, so I can, I can see the, the concern. We have uh, just about five minutes left, and I... Know that you're working with Harmony, and Harmony sponsored this episode, and CXO Talk doesn't have commercials, and so I'm always I'm very grateful to to the people who support it. And so so tell us about what you're doing with uh, Harmony.
1: So this is, by the way, very uh, funny because uh, today uh, had uh, Harmony exactly in uh, this room. And uh, I didn't knew that Harmony was uh, sponsoring that session just uh, an hour ago. And uh, we have, as part of our digital workplace program, where we embark uh, on uh, adopting the latest uh, technologies, a strong journey on the Microsoft world with uh, the respective exchange, uh, SharePoint, uh, and other platforms, and enabling a more Simpler access and adoption to these technologies uh, is on our side, highly supported by Harmony. So how you can share documents in a simple way, how you can interact with people. And even on my mobile phone, I can get access to all my uh, documents wherever I am on the world, thanks uh, to our Harmony app. So the so it even sounded like a commercial now.
0: No, (laughs) well, so so the key is the simplicity of managing the information, which sounds like it's part of a key part of your broader strategy for the business.
1: It is, in fact, if you think like our business is so diverse, so we have experts which focus on uh, marine cargo hull meaning on the hull of a ship doing cargo. And you have a few folks focusing on this with respective uh, documents, pricing in, uh, and a lot of knowledge. And we have hundreds or thousands of such specialized areas and they need to somehow manage their knowledge and evolve it, even though we highly rely on the individual experts, Uh, naturally, a company like us also wants to encode some of this knowledge to sustain this beyond just the individuals which we rely heavily on.
0: Fantastic. Well, this has been a, a very interesting discussion about an industry that is in the midst of dramatic change. And we have been talking with Reiner Baumann, who is the CIO for information at the large Swiss insurer called Swiss Re. Reiner, thank you for spending time with us today. It's been a lot of fun. And everybody, I hope you will come back on Friday because we have another installment of CXO Talk, and we'll see you then. And thank you again to Harmony for sponsoring this episode. Bye bye.